In today's first reading from the book of Nehemiah, if we listen closely, we can almost feel the excitement, the excitement among the people of Israel. There they all are gathered up in a great square, like some huge event in Central Park or Times Square. Everybody's there waiting in anticipation. And they're waiting for the chief scribe, the head religious leader, Ezra, to read from a sacred scroll. Everyone's on the tiptoe of expectation as he stands in the midst of the crowd, opens the book of the Law of Moses, and reads from it for several hours. And the people listen for several hours. The men and women hear and they understand what God is saying. Ezra blesses the Lord God, gives God thanks and praise, and all the people cry, Amen, Amen. And then the people worship together. And then they lose heart. It goes from great excitement and jubilation to absolute despair. The scripture doesn't go into detail about it, but it sounds as though the the people really are listening and the, the gravity of what they've just heard, the importance of God's word, the weight of God's word, all somehow is made clear all of a sudden and burdens them. Maybe they begin to realize that they haven't lived up to God's expectations and perhaps there's no way they can. Maybe they feel like they're unworthy of all the ways in which Ezra has just said God is blessing them. Maybe they even wonder why they've been spared some of the misfortune or the disease or the calamity that's fallen on other people. Whatever is its cause, the people feel the burden of God's love, uh, the expectation of God's attention. Nehemiah and Ezra and all the religious leaders tell the people an amazing thing. In the midst of this feeling of being overwhelmed by God, these religious leaders say to the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. And then they go on to explain what that means. Because it's a holy day, they say, don't mourn, don't weep. Nehemiah offers more encouragement as he explains, Go your way, eat, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, celebrate, send portions of all that's left over to those who have nothing. And again, he says, For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I love that phrase there. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We don't always hear the joy of the Lord in Scripture, do we? It's hard sometimes. It's hard to hear the joy of the Lord that's being offered to us or or directed toward us. So many of us are predisposed to hear judgment in the Scriptures. Or perhaps we come to church expecting to be reminded of how we've fallen short in some way. And so we miss the joy that God offers But look at how Jesus responds in today's gospel. Jesus does what the prayer book reminds us that we should do, is to to read and mark and inwardly digest the word of God. And that's exactly what Jesus does. It's his turn to read in the temple. 
And so he stands up to read, and he reads those words from Isaiah. But then Jesus hears them. He hears in them the joy that God intends. And Jesus hears those words as God's word to him. Straight from God, right to the heart of Jesus. Of course, those words weren't originally meant for Jesus. They came from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was thinking ahead. He was, he was prophesying. He was dreaming about one who would come in the name of God. The Spirit of the Lord would be upon that one. Because God had anointed him to bring good news to the poor. God had sent him to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so it's a grand and glorious vision, the vision of one who's especially chosen, anointed even, to bring good news, proclaim release, to heal, to free. Rabbis and other theologians have always understood that this not only referred to the Messiah, the one who was awaited and hoped for, The words do not only refer to Jesus, who heals and frees and brings good news, but those words of Isaiah, those words spoken by Jesus, claimed by Jesus in the temple, also refer to us. That's what Jesus means when he sits down and he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your midst. Yes, he's talking about himself, but he's, always, he's also talking about all the people of God. If we thought those words referred to us individually, we would be incredibly overwhelmed. We would be like those people in our first scripture reading. We would probably despair. If we thought it was our job entirely to do all those things Isaiah mentioned... And all those same things that Jesus reads, we'd probably either work ourselves into some overly pious frenzy and pretend, or we'd just give up altogether. We are meant to take those words of Isaiah, those words of Jesus personally, to evaluate our faithfulness by them, but we're not meant to do that alone, individually. We're not in this alone. As as someone has said, there is no such thing as an individual Christian. It makes no sense. To be a Christian is to be in community with family. To be a Christian is to be one with others who seek the way of Jesus Christ. And so we look for others to be a part of our community, not so we can fill committees, not so we can have more altar servers or have people to make the coffee earlier at coffee hour or even to help us with the budget. We look for others because that's what we do as the people of God. We, we gather others for the good news, for the joy that the Lord intends for all his children. It's only in looking through others that we begin to see the contours and the complexities that make up the face of God. And so the scary news comes to us from Nehemiah that the word of God can convict us and startle us and shake us up. But perhaps the even scarier news comes from the gospel that the word of God is intended for us to show us how and who we should be. 
the really good news is then fine-tuned in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where he makes it so clear that the work of God is not given to any one of us individually. We would fail completely. Each of us has particular gifts and different gifts. And so in community, as the church, through prayer, through conversation, even through a little conflict, we discern what God's will is. We discern what God's spirit is doing in our midst and we follow. And together we accomplish God's work. Paul makes it sound funny, and it is funny if we think about a human body, if we think about a foot saying, well, um, I'm not a hand, therefore I don't belong to this body, or an ear getting upset because it's not the eye. That makes no sense. That is silly. And yet we can get into doing a similar thing in the church sometimes. We can behave just as comically when you think about it. We might look around us and think that everybody else is so much smarter. Everybody else understands more about Christianity. Everybody else is a better Episcopalian. Maybe we think everybody else has a better job or a better place to live or a better family. And so we don't quite fit. Or maybe it's the opposite problem. Maybe my own passion is one that I don't see reflected around me. Maybe my passion is to visit people in prison. And since this church doesn't currently have a prison ministry, we go elsewhere. Or maybe your passion is to work with young people or youth. And since we don't currently have a vibrant youth group, maybe you would tend to go elsewhere. There's room for everyone. God wants our gifts to be explored and fulfilled here, right where we are. Paul's letter to the Corinthians explains how we, like Jesus, can begin to bear God's word. It's not heavy, it's easy. We can begin to understand it for ourselves and not be overwhelmed. Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, gifts of healing. On and on he goes. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all sound as eloquent when they read scripture as Dudley Stone? No. (laughs) Does everyone sing like our choir? No. Does everyone have Leo Tiburcio's energy? No. Can everybody pull together a crowd to work for a cause like David Liston? No. Can anyone network like Yvonne O'Neill? No. All don't crutch numbers like Gus or Gene. We could go on and on and on with our list with people who do individual and particular things really, really well. That doesn't mean the rest of us don't have our gifts especially as we elect a new vestry next week, as we continue to evaluate our mission as a church and look at our organization for mission, there are so many opportunities for gifts to be uncovered and shared, to be magnified, to be used. 
Maybe you walk by the church during the week. You could pick up trash. (laughs) Maybe you walk within the church. You could dust a little. (laughs) Maybe you walk by the garden. You could snip something or straighten up. Maybe you attend a meeting at the church. You can make sure the announcements are up to date or turn out the lights behind you. On and on it goes as we all sort of be the body of church, in, uh, the body of Christ in this place. We are the body of Christ. It's for us to live and to reach and to embrace and to share this body that is complex, but uniquely gifted by God. When we hear the word of God, may we hear its full joy The words of the old Sarum primer compiled centuries ago understood God as all in all. May we know the joy of God, God in our head and in our understanding, God in our eyes and in our looking, God in our mouth and in our speaking, God in our heart and in our thinking, God at our end and at our departing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.